0: Today I'll be reading Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David, according to the flesh, all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ.
1: Thank you, Keziah, for reading today's passage. In September of 386 AD, a brilliant professor sat weeping under a tree, born a Berber, born to this people group indigenous to North Africa, born to a Christian mother, he had abandoned his mother's faith at a very early age and had looked for life elsewhere. He became well-educated. As a professor in Carthage, he turned people away from Christian faith with his philosophical speculations. He gave himself to sexual promiscuity and drunkenness. His mother, Monica, had come close to utter despair several times, but persevered in prayer for him to meet God. When he was 19, Monica had a dream in which she and her son were walking hand in hand in heaven. She knew that God was speaking to her. The dream encouraged her to intensify her prayers. After years of praying, however, her son seemed ever more distant from God. He had only become more educated, more arrogant, and more immoral. The professor's academic ambition and brilliance secured him the prestigious position of professor of rhetoric in Milan, and his mother, Monica, moved with him. She pleaded with the uh, renowned bishop of Milan, Ambrose, to speak to her son, while she sobbed he comforted her with these words. Woman, it's impossible for the son of those tears to perish. Monica continued in prayer. Nine years after her dream, her son heard the gospel preached by Ambrose. Shaken, he went to a garden to reflect on what he had heard. And there, weeping in the garden, he heard a voice singing the words, take it and read, take it and read. Over and over, the voice sang. At first, he thought the voice must be from a child playing nearby, but there were no children nearby, and he had never heard this children's song before. He believed God was asking him to open the scriptures and read. The professor opened his Bible, and his eyes fell on Romans chapter 13, verses 13 and 14. Because we belong to the day We must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the drunkenness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. The professor needed to read no further the light of God shone on his heart, the power of the gospel of God. In his own words, all the shadows of doubt were dispelled. He was convicted of his sin and surrendered his life to Jesus. The following spring, in April of 387 AD, at Easter, he was baptized by Ambrose. Monica's son would become one of the greatest theologians of church history. His thinking and his writings influence us to this day. His name, St. Augustine. His story is a human story. More importantly, it is a God story. Today, the words of the children's song apply to each one of us. God invites us to take up and read his word. This letter to the Romans is about God speaking to us. If we read and hear God's word to us, it will shine on our hearts and change us. Why is Romans so life-changing? Because of the power of the gospel. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. There is the thesis statement of the letter. The gospel is the power of God for the spiritual transformation of everyone who puts their trust in Jesus. It is about redemption for individuals like us, for people of all languages and ethnicities, indeed for all of creation. I'm sure we are now eager to take up and read, but before we unpack these verses, which we will do in detail next week, let's return to today's passage and remember that this letter was written to a context. It was written by a particular person to a particular people in a particular time and place. Yes, it contains timeless truths for all people everywhere, in all generations, but the first readers of these words were members of churches living in first century Rome. Why is the context of these words important? Here's an example. The words Hail Mary can mean very different things. If these words are uttered during a a Roman Catholic worship service, they probably refer to a request to the Virgin Mary to intercede before God on behalf of those praying. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, and so on. It's a set prayer. If the words Hail Mary are thrown out by someone commenting on an American football game, however... The quarterback has probably thrown a long pass downfield in desperation at the end of the game, hoping that one of his teammates catches the ball in the end zone. Catch it, Eric. (laughs) The pass is a Hail Mary, a wishful prayer thrown in the air with little chance of completion. Eric caught it. All of this to say, the words of Romans need to be understood in their context first before we apply them to our lives. We must understand the letter to the Romans in its first century circumstances before we apply it to the 21st century. So let's look at the context. The seven verses read by Keziah form the greeting of Paul's letter. In Greek, it's just one long sentence, 90 words. In these verses, Paul describes himself, he addresses his audience, and he leaves them with a blessing. So who is Paul? Verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul has a master. He is a servant of Christ Jesus. Servant is the word slave. Paul identifies himself as one who belongs to Jesus. His exclusive allegiance is to Jesus. Jesus determines who he is and what he will do. Then Paul is called to be an apostle. Apostle means sent with a commission. On that road to Damascus, he had a vision of Jesus In that moment, he was called to surrender his life to Jesus and to embrace God's mission to the Gentiles, that is, the non-Jews. He was chosen to be God's appointed messenger to the nations. Finally, Paul is set apart for the gospel of God. Set apart means separated. He was separated by God from ethnic identity, wealth, fame, and his own life direction, for the purpose of making the good news of Jesus reign known. God's intersection with him on that Damascus road changed everything for Paul. His view of Jesus, his view of himself, and of his life purpose. Now, we know who wrote the letter, Paul. But to whom did he write? Paul writes to the house churches of Rome. At least five groups are mentioned in Romans chapter 16. He had not founded these churches. They were most likely founded by unnamed Jewish Christians returning to Rome from Pentecost celebrations in Jerusalem, as mentioned in Acts chapter 2, verse 10. The churches were famous far and wide for their faith. In verse 8, it's mentioned. Some of its members Paul had met through his travels, but many of them he did not know. So why did he write this lengthy letter? All the circumstances point to Paul writing this letter from Corinth around AD 57, near the end of his third missionary journey. He wrote for at least three reasons. First, Paul had proclaimed the gospel and planted thriving churches in key centers from Jerusalem to modern-day Albania and former Yugoslavia. After working all over the eastern Mediterranean, he now looks for new opportunities to go where Jesus has never been named, as he writes in Romans chapter 15. Paul now considers the western end of the Mediterranean Sea. Before launching a new mission in Spain, However, Paul wants to establish a base in Rome, a base of operations for mission in the western Mediterranean, as Antioch had been his base of operations in the eastern Mediterranean. So that's one reason. Second, the churches were facing some significant tensions. Why? For the first few decades, the church in Rome was dominated by Jewish Christians. But the situation changed dramatically in 49 AD when the Roman emperor, Claudius, expelled all Jews from Rome. We read about that in Acts chapter 18, verse two. Roman historians allege that this expulsion occurred because of disputes involving someone called Crestus. Most historians consider it to be a Latin rendering of the Greek Christos. This is remarkable. Only 16 years after Pentecost, Roman historians were already talking about the Christ in Rome. Now, in the absence of the Jews, following their expulsion, the churches of Rome had become increasingly Gentile in their makeup and leadership. When Paul wrote Romans around 57 AD, the Roman authorities were quietly allowing Jews to return to Rome, but the returning Jewish Christians returned to a church that was now dominated by Gentiles. The situation was ripe for social and theological tension. We can imagine the conversations, the tensions, and the possible disagreements we can imagine Gentiles wanting to move further and further away from the regulations of Judaism, like food laws and holy days. While Jewish Christians, feeling they were losing something very precious, would hold on even more tightly to their ancestral customs. How could a church composed primarily of Gentiles fulfill God's promises, the Jews would ask. A great concern of Paul in Romans is the people question. What did God's gracious work in Christ mean for these two great people groups, the Jews and the Gentiles? How much of the Old Testament was relevant for them? Could all the people groups of the world be added to God's people without disenfranchising God's original people, the Jews? Did all really mean all? We might ask today, Can all of the languages, ethnicities, nations represented in the Willingdon Church family truly be one in Jesus with all of the different cultural understandings of what it means to be a follower of Jesus? Can first and second generation immigrants be church together? Can uh, boomers, Gen Xers, millennials, and Gen Zers be church together? These are critical questions in our day. Romans' purpose is to heal divisions. Romans is about how God's new work in Jesus can integrate all peoples and all generations into one new people. Theologian N.T. Wright writes this. Romans gives us an indication of what the gospel looks like when it takes root in multi-ethnic churches in the tenements of a pagan city. In Paul's mind, Justification by faith means fellowship by faith. This letter to the Romans calls us to welcome one another as we have been welcomed by Christ. This letter is written for us today, living here in Metro Vancouver in the 21st century. And this brings us to the third reason for Paul's letter. The Roman Christians were probably a bit suspicious of Paul and his theology because of what they had heard about him from others. For this reason, he writes a systematic presentation of the gospel. He writes a systematic presentation of the gospel that he has been preaching for over 20 years. The Roman Christians must understand the heart of his gospel message in order to support him prayerfully and financially, yes, but more importantly to follow Jesus in life and walk as one family. So here we have in Romans the most sustained, comprehensive exposition of the great truths of the gospel set out in logical fashion. Uh, The human condition, uh, justification by faith alone, salvation through Christ alone, union with Christ, uh, life in the Spirit, adoption into the family of God, and so on. Its teaching transcends time, place, and culture. It is about God speaking to the world, to people like you and me. So, let's take up and read. In the greeting, Paul introduces thoughts that become recurring themes throughout the letter. The end of verse 1, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul's focus in Romans is on the gospel of God. That is, the good news of God. In the ancient world, conquering kings would send messengers with the good news of victory, of uh, extended power and authority to their own people. The gospel of God is an announcement, a pronouncement of God's kingdom come. Not just good advice to be followed. Paul did not invent this gospel. First point. The gospel is the story God is writing. Gospel encompasses the whole human story from beginning to end. It is the story of how Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, his saving work changes everything, all of life, all of history. The whole story is centered in Jesus. The gospel is not just a set of crafted phrases It is power. It is not just a concept. It is a person. Jesus Christ. Commentator James R. Edwards writes, God and humanity, heaven and earth, the eternal and the temporal, the invisible and the visible, The first stroke of his, Paul's pen, heralds an open universe, a world much larger than our empirical experience of it, a world, to be sure, which begins at our human level, but which is not limited to it. There is a God who breaks into this world and enlarges its possibilities. God has spoken in the gospel, and the words of this world can never again be the same. As I sat on a bench... In Edmonds Park a few weeks ago. I was reminded of these truths. Before me were people from all over the world, uh, children, parents, grandparents. Seventy languages are spoken in the Edmonds area. A beautiful scene. What do I bring to the conversation on the park benches on a spring afternoon in 2021? Do I just bring my life story, a few ideas, the latest news, or one more religion? What do we bring to the conversations we have with people throughout the week? We bring the words God has spoken, the word he has spoken in Jesus, God breaking into human history, God extending his hand to humanity in love, God sharing his life. And so we are compelled by the love of God to speak of the power of the gospel to transform our lives. It is the only loving thing to do. Paul goes on, end of verse 1, verse 2, Set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The gospel can only be the gospel of God if it is rooted in the soil of the revelation provided by God in the Old Testament. Paul repeatedly stresses that God's work in Jesus for all people is exactly what God had promised from the beginning, the perfect fulfillment of the Hebrew Scriptures. As Pastor Rob preached on Good Friday, Jesus is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, The gospel was God's single plan from the beginning, not an unexpected adjustment to correct what had, for some reason, gone wrong. The gospel is not an afterthought. When our family lived in Abbotsford, our daughter's favorite restaurant was Afterthoughts, a restaurant known for specialty coffees and gourmet desserts. It was their favorite hangout because it was a space where they could go for dessert and have conversation with friends after the main meal. When it comes to the gospel, Jesus is not just the dessert, the after-meal conversation. He is the appetizer, main entree, dessert, the specialty coffee, the whole meal. With the coming of Jesus, the gospel is experienced in all of its fullness and all of its flavor. So Paul writes that the gospel is Verse 3, concerning his son. For Paul, Jesus is the content of the gospel, the substance of the gospel, the center of the gospel. Jesus is named seven times in these seven verses. He's not only the founder of the gospel, he is the gospel. It is first and foremost not about us, it is about Jesus. The gospel is centered in Jesus Jesus is introduced as God's Son. Son of God was a Jewish title for the Messiah. All of the Old Testament predictions were fulfilled in Jesus. As Paul will make clear in Romans chapter 5 and 8, Jesus had a unique and intimate relationship to the Father. He truly was God's Son. The following phrases that we read in verses 3 and 4, they they express three stages in the existence of God's Son. Human, resurrected, and ascended. Verse 3. Concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. First, as God's eternal Son, Jesus humbled himself and entered human history. Born of a woman. A man born as a descendant of David, who accomplished the work of the Jewish Messiah through his life, death, and resurrection. We celebrated that work last weekend. Then, after his resurrection, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he entered into a new stage of existence. He was appointed the Son of God in power, we read. By the resurrection, He was granted power to make spiritually alive all who would believe in him. And he demonstrated his power and authority by pouring out his spirit on his followers. Third, Jesus is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Following his ascension to the right hand of the Father, Jesus reigns as eternal king over a kingdom in which redeemed men and women can experience the new power of the age to come. So Paul can write in Romans 8, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, dwells in you. The era of the spirit had begun. You see, the gospel is powered by Jesus. It's powered by Jesus through his spirit. Paul goes on in verse five. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. By grace, as a gift. God chose Paul to be the point man in bringing the good news of Christ to all the nations. Thanks, Eric. On a basketball team, every play begins with the point guard. He runs the offense. He is responsible for putting the ball in the hands of the shooters. Eric will now shoot. Paul is a point guard for the gospel. His passion is to see the nations hearing the gospel, being made alive in Jesus, and thereby bringing about the obedience of faith. This phrase frames the letter, the obedience of faith. It carries two meanings. The obedience of faith is the obedience that is faith. In other words, faith awakened in non-believers. One obeys God by believing in Jesus, Romans chapter 10. The second meaning is the obedience that comes from faith. A life of obedience flows from genuine biblical faith. The German theologian Martin Luther wrote in the 16th century, We are saved by faith alone, but this faith is never alone. 400 years later, another German theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, wrote, Only he who believes is obedient, and only he who is obedient believes. He writes that in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. We obey first by putting our trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, and then Our faith in Jesus leads us to a life of obedience. If Jesus is our Lord, we do what he commands. Faith and obedience are two sides of the same coin. You can't have true faith without obeying, nor can you truly obey without believing. The gospel leads to radical life change. It leads to radical life change. As we walk with Jesus, our commitment to a lifestyle fully surrendered to his leadership grows more complete and consistent. Obedience is the power of God at work in us, and we follow Jesus in life for the sake of his name, for the sake of God's glory among all peoples. By God's grace, the Roman Christians were included in God's family. Verse 6, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Notice how Paul describes them. First, they belong to Jesus, as Paul does. Uh, Then they are loved by God, as Paul was. And lastly, they are called to be saints. That is, they are set apart as Paul was. Note that God's love precedes his call. By grace, God loves people, draws them to himself in Jesus, and enables them to do his will. Just as Paul was called to be an apostle, all the believers in Rome, Jew and Gentile, are called to belong to Jesus and called to be set apart for God's purposes. God has drawn them to himself by his spirit. They are full members of his people in continuity with the Old Testament, with the Old Testament people of God. Powerful words. All of the people are fully included. All truly means all. If we are to embrace God's calling, we will have to be liberated from all pride of race, nation, tribe, caste, and class and acknowledge that the gospel of God is for everyone, without exception and without distinction. The gospel is for all people. Rome was a city founded upon seven hills on the eastern shore of the Tiber River. It ruled over an empire from Western Europe to North Africa to the Middle East. Monumental structures graced its, its skyline, Circus Maximus, theaters, multiple forms, and temples. Innumerable pagan gods received worship. Mars, Saturn, Castor, Venus, Roma, Apollo, Jupiter. Daily life was luxurious for the wealthy and oppressive for the poor. Roman authors speak of an overcrowded, loud, and smelly city. In this city lived people loved by God. People God had called to himself to be his adopted children and they were called to be saints, set apart for God's glory and purposes in the Roman world. Paul was that point guard passing the ball of the gospel to the nations in the hope that they would follow Jesus in life and shoot the ball for the sake of his name in Rome and wherever the name of Jesus had not been named. Question for us, will we carry the ball of the gospel to the people of metro vancouver or wherever you might be living a few weeks ago i was in conversation with one of our local politicians i asked her how our church family might be a compassionate presence in our city she immediately identified three groups the vulnerable the immigrants and refugees and the school children She urged us to be engaged with people, to be a long-term presence in the community, to, to get to know principals and teachers, to mentor children who are struggling with the pressures and challenges of our day. Will you and I be God's people in the city in the 21st century for the sake of his name? I leave you with the blessing Paul gives to the churches in Rome. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, God's unmerited favor. It was personal for Paul, it's personal for us. By the grace of God, Paul, the chief of sinners, was granted personal relationship with Jesus, a personal calling, and a purpose. In the same way, as followers of Jesus, we unworthy sinners are granted a personal relationship with Jesus, a personal calling, and a purpose, grace, and peace, shalom. Shalom is life with God and and well-being in every way, life as it should be. This peace comes from the Father and the Son by the Spirit. It is the gift of the gospel. So grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are writing the story that you have the whole story in your hands from beginning to end and father we thank you again that you sent Jesus out of love for us we could never save ourselves we could never put ourselves together without your help we could never heal our relationships without you We could never be transformed into your likeness without your power at work within us. So thank you, Father, for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for coming. We praise you and we thank you as our Savior and our Lord, our guide. We ask that by your Spirit you do your work of transformation, you continue your work of transformation in our lives, that we might be more and more like you, that we might truly live the power of the gospel and share of the life that is within us, share of the work that you have done in our lives. Father, may we not shrink back, but may we, with joy and confidence in you, share your good news. It's not something that we have invented, it is something that you have gifted us with. Father, we pray for ourselves in the city where we live. We pray for those living in the twin cities where there has been so much racial tension and so much division. And we pray even now as the trial of, uh, around the death of George Floyd progresses, Lord, we pray for justice and peace in that city. We pray for your kingdom to come. We pray for the divisions to be healed. We pray that for the Twin Cities. We pray that for the United States of America. We pray that for Canada. We pray that for our world. And Lord, may we be your people that carry your justice, your peace, and your love. Lord, may we be your people welcoming all who come, wherever they come from, welcoming them in your name for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm leaving you with some uh, questions for reflection. Take some time to talk about those questions with your friends, family, and God bless you. May the grace and peace of our Lord
0: Jesus Christ be with you.